Hello and welcome to the System Podcast. I am your host, Yushima Kamoi Cherry Burks. I'm an author, therapist, and entrepreneur. And I'm your co-host, Kimon Brown Chabalala. I'm an entrepreneur. I run a publishing business. I am a mathematician. Not that we want everyone to know about that. I'm an author. I'm an activist. I'm a lot of things. All right. Before we jump into it today, I want to ask our listeners, what we're doing is a get to know me question every single week. So at the start of of our podcast every week, you'll get to know something new about us. And this week, my question to you, Yushima, I always say Yushima or Kamoi, and I don't know which one I use more often, but guys, Yushima and Kamoi are the exact same person. I just use both my names. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it depends on where my brain is on the day. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I'm going to ask you today, Kamoy, if you had a warning label, what would it say? Ooh, if I had a warning label, what would it say? That's a yeah. good question. So I think it would say, Objects in the rearview mirror may appear closer than they are. <laughs> Listen. Why would it say that? Because <laughs> you have no idea if that sneak attack is about to go down or not. Like, child, look, I may, you may see me one way, but I'm a whole different way. You know how you look in your rearview mirror and then you look again, child, you know, ran into somebody? <laughs> that is why I think you never know. What you're getting. That took okay. me out. That took me Listen, out. <laughs> I thought you were going to ask me something else, but you played me today. That's okay. I'm going to ask you the same question. Okay. No, I didn't. Ask I just thought it was question. a fun question. That was a fun question. Okay. You catch me you off guard. You played me. By, you you be, gave me an uppercut. Listen. You know my camera playing that video game? It's like, what What, what do they say? Knockout. 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 Listen. That's real. I'm thinking about that. Yeah. Wow. I'm thinking about that song. But okay. So what would your, if you came with the caution sign, what would your caution sign say? My Mine is very simple. Unfriendly, if not fed. That's me. Oh, I love it. Say it again. Say it again. Unfriendly, if not fed, may <laughs> bite or even eat. <laughs> Oh, I, love I like that. my food. Listen, I love my food. I do not want to see you hangry, okay? Nope. No one wanna see that. Your poor wife. I love her. She deserves a reward. <laughs> she does, and she keeps me fed. She understands. She does. You be like, okay, she I call you back. Thanks, bringing me my meal. <laughs> Just get started yeah. at the table. Spoil. I love it. I love it. All right. All, All right, right, guys. Now we're just going to jump into it. Enough of the fooling around by me and Yushima over here. This week, we're going to talking about the bounce back and how to start over after losing it all. Mm, That's a heavy topic, isn't it? That's really heavy. And well, look, first of all, before we dive into this topic, let's clarify what the it is that we're talking about. Okay, so let me kind of break it down into bite-sized pieces because this topic can go anywhere. So. Let's talk about mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, right? And that can be mental health, depression, redefining who God is, and physically, right? That can be your health, your environment, 
experiencing homelessness or moving from one place to another. Um, financially, which can include credit, loss of employment, being taken advantage of, right? And that can be investing in someone or something that doesn't bring a return. This can actually apply to all the dimensions, right? You can invest in something emotionally, physically, financially, and socially, and it not give you the return. It's not reciprocated, right? And then socially, this can be a breakup, a divorce, losing or changing social status. This can have something to do with your relationships. If you lose a loved one, or if you experience infidelity, right? How do you handle that? Like, wow, come on. Have you ever had to start over? Ooh, <laughs> I've had to start over so many times. And mm, I, I don't I don't necessarily want to put half to on it because I've chosen to start over a lot of times in my life. So it's not always been negative, but I've started over so many times. I can't count. If I had to go and think about it I'd probably write a whole book maybe a 40 or 50k page book if I didn't get all into the nitty-gritty of things but I, I have I have had to start over a few times and I've chosen to start over a few times how about you oh absolutely I've had to start over and it's the same some of it was you know due to necessity something that was outside of my control and then some of my you know bounce backs or starting over periods have been because it was something that I chose to do. And so, yeah, same, same here. Yeah. So it looks like we both had to start over at one point or another for different reasons, right? And I'm yeah. sure that's the case for some, if not most of our listeners. Okay. So let's discuss how that bounce back looks and how to go about achieving it, right? That's yeah. the it that we're talking about, right? So that it. So let's break down those how-tos and discuss the formulas we can use to make it happen. Okay, so come on, how have you had to start over mentally and socially? How have you had to start over mentally? Wow, mentally is a hard one for me, and I, I'll probably get a bit too personal here, but about, I would say about five years ago, I was in a bad relationship, a really bad relationship, and that's an intimate relationship with a woman. And the relationship was just not good, and it did a lot of damage to my mental health. But I didn't realize how bad the damage was. I, I, I was so out of it. I was For two years, I was mentally out of it. And I'd never been at that place in my life. I mean, before then, I'd always use the word depressed and I'd probably even rarely used it because there were times in my life where I'd been depressed, but I didn't know I was depressed and I knew that something was wrong. But I think why this is this left a significant mark for me is that I had it was so bad that I had so adult social workers helping me through the process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I left that relationship and it had been a, less than a month since I'd left, but my social worker thought that I needed to, I, I was terrified of going outside of the house, mm. terrified. When I say terrified, I mean terrified to the extent that if someone knocked on the door, I would freak out so bad because I didn't know who it, I was scared. So it was a bad situation. And as I said, at, at the time, I didn't understand what was happening men mentally. I just thought that I was scared. I was you know, because I'd left this bad situation, I just wasn't feeling well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And 
I remember I was asked to go to this organization called Mind. And when my social social worker put it to me, I didn't really understood understand what Mind was. But Mind is an organization here in the UK. It's a charity and they help people with mental illness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she signed me up for this thing. She said she thought it would be good because I love being outdoors. Before then, I was obsessed with being outdoors. I was obsessed with being among, among, among people. I was that child growing up in the class. Everyone was my friend. I loved people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she when she put it to me, I could go there, I could get into sewing again, I could get into gardening, I could get into being around other people. And I thought it's a good idea. At the moment, I'm scared to do it, but I'll try. Mm-hmm. And the very first day that I went, and the only day, because I never went back, the only day that I actually went to this place, I remember getting there and getting these forms to fill out. There was a lovely gentleman at the door. He took me aside to fill these forms in. I gave him my name. I was on the list and stuff. And he basically, when I gave him back the form, he was like, you didn't complete it. And I said, I did. And he said, no, you didn't select anything under mental illness. And I said, I've not got a mental illness. Mm-hmm. And he went, what do you mean? You are here for help. And it says here that you need the help that we offer. And I said, yeah, but, you know, I, I can't get out of the out, the house and my And this is from someone who studied psychology. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I studied psychology. Like I Mm -hmm. went to university and studied this bloody topic. Mm -hmm. But I I guess that's just how much I was out of it. But this gentleman called. He was like, "Okay, just wait over here. And he called the head of the organization and she came out. And, you know, I'm glad I'm able to talk about this now without crying, because before I would always cry about it. Mm -hmm. But she came out and she was like, come on nice to meet you and all of this and all of that and whatever and she was like come on you didn't select that you've got mental illness but your paperwork from the doctors and from the social workers says you've got a mental illness and I'm like what Mm -hmm. and she's like you're suffering from severe depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. and that's mental illness and Yushima I don't know what she said after that I remember falling on the floor and wailing just Mm -hmm. wailing and wailing and wailing because in my mind the one thing that I didn't I feared the most Mm -hmm. it was the one thing that I definitely feared was losing my capacity to look after myself was to be present mentally yeah Mm -hmm. so that that really threw me it really really threw me but and I didn't go back to that organization they were really nice they helped me out they helped me out she helped me to fill out the paper and I think putting that tick that I've got mental illness made the difference that I needed at the time because Mm -hmm. just after I got into private um I got I got CBD Mm -hmm. not CBD I got um what's that counseling called where CBT CBT so I got mm-hmm. CBT counseling and I liked that but it, I, I don't think it worked for me because with CBT I wasn't able to talk about what was actually making me feel the way I was I, I couldn't unload to right. say well I couldn't make sense of things to say this is what happened but mm-hmm. I went into private counseling and I kept going to counseling and I have met I've not stopped going to counseling like in the Mm -hmm. last few weeks I haven't gone because I don't feel like I need to but Mm -hmm. 
I, I've kept counseling for years, for years mm. and years and years, because I feel that it helps to keep me on track. And I've got a brilliant counselor, the mm. best I've met in all my years. Yeah, mm. I've, I've been in counseling forever, but I've got a therapist who is amazing, who mm. I can talk to and who helps me to unpack things. And that keeps my mental health in check. And yeah, but I I I have had to start over from start over from zero with my mental health. With I tried medications that didn't work for me. Talking helps. Mm-hmm. My brain works in a sense where I've got to unpack and then learning. One of the things that my therapist said was that I don't need to understand why someone did something to me. Right. And that helped me a lot. Medication yes. wouldn't have been able to do that for me because that was one the one question that I struggled with. But yes. why did you hurt me? Why mm. did you do this to me? What did I do to you to deserve this? Yeah. You know what I mean? So yes. therapy works for me. Therapy Absolutely. is what helps me to keep my mental health on track and what yes. has helped me. I am all about calling your therapist. Come on. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. And finding out that you have a diagnosis is usually very traumatic for people, especially because of the stigma surrounding uh, mental health in our brown communities, black and brown communities, right? Yeah. So I'm so happy for you that you've come along on this journey. You've identified exactly what it is that you need and you've taken this thing by the reins and written this bull right on down to the ground, honey. So that's good. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. How about you? Can you share something that you've done or that you've been through emotionally or mentally that you think that you've had to start, you know, start from fresh and, you know, get back on track? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have several of those stories, honey. It has been a, quite the journey, I can say. But one of the things that it's been a process for me, right, is dealing with my son, my oldest son, Mikey. Yeah. And so having a son with mental health issues and being a mom to a son with mental health issues um, was very mentally draining on not only myself, but our youngest son and my husband. I've been with my husband since Mikey was four and Mikey is 17, about to be 18, right? And so with him having these mental health issues, this boy was setting fires. He was running away. He was on the news. He tried to kill us, as you know, um, in different ways. I would wake up and my darn bathroom would be, the bathroom garbage can would be on fire because he's lit tissue and he's jumped out the second story window. It was just a lot of emotional and mental strain. And I mean, I've been through a lot of stuff, right? But there is nothing as disheartening as having someone try to harm you when all you've ever done is love, nurture, and care for them. And so being his protector and his nurturer, although he was my nemesis in his mind, right? It's a very dichotomous way to live. And so you find yourself in these conflicting situations where you have to protect someone who's trying to harm you. And so I just felt like I was in an abusive relationship for several years until he finally went to a facility a couple of years ago, right? And so coming in the midst of that, 
emotional, mental health challenge, I find myself in a deep, dark depression, but no one around me knew. I went to work. I'm a therapist, right? So I still had to see clients every day. I may have been up all night from Mikey running away, or maybe I was feeling ill because he was poisoning me over the course of six years. And I didn't always know, but I was physically ill all the time. I was nauseous all the time. Um, I was bleeding from every orifices, right? Um, and I, th- I wasn't sure why. So I'm working, I'm going in the office, I'm not missing days or anything. And I'm wearing this mask as if everything is okay. And it wasn't. One day, you know, my husband had just had enough. Mikey was hurting our youngest son. He had already hurt our dog. So we had to give our dog away, you know, give it back to his owner. Um, And so we would walk in and he'd be choking Jack or, you know, he'd kick him in the head or he'd have a pillow over his face. And it's not like we left him in the, in the room with the baby. If we went to the bathroom or anything, it's like he was always paying attention. He never slept. It was just a really scary situation for all of us. And so uh, my husband was, he was tired one day and me and him ended up getting into it because again, even though he's doing these horrible things to me, I still have a responsibility to protect him, right? To protect our kids. And my husband was like, I'm, I'm done, right? And so me and him got into it. And I'd say the lowest point was when I got arrested for domestic violence as a therapist, that's not something that you want to happen. But in my mind, I was defending our kids, right? I wanted to make sure everybody was safe. I don't think he would have physically harmed them but I didn't like the things he was saying and the things he appeared that he may do. So I just took initiative to prevent him from doing that thing. And if you leave any kind of mark or anything, it's considered domestic violence. And I wouldn't recommend that for anybody. I don't think it would have gotten to that point had we taken the precautions that we needed to take care of ourselves, but we weren't in a space to be able to do that because we were in constant fight or flight mode. We didn't know what would happen at any given time. And so living in that heightened state of fear consistently caused me to have what I would call a breakdown. Once I got arrested, I had to make a decision like, you know what, this is not my life. Cause you know, they don't let you go here in the state where I am, Alabama. You have to spend the night in jail for at least 24 hours, a full 24 hours. So girl, I'm in this orange jumpsuit. Look, I had to go through the whole thing. But since they knew us because they knew Mikey, he didn't put me in handcuffs when he came. He said, Ms. Burks, what happened, right? And so I'm like, well, I told him what happened. And he said, well, you know, I have to take you in because that's considered domestic violence. And so the boy that I was protecting was in the background laughing Mm. as the police took me to the squad car. He didn't want to put me in handcuffs because all my neighbors were being nosy and you know they were outside. And so in the back of that squad car, I'm thinking this, yeah, this is not going to work for me, right? This is not the life that I see me living. Something has to change. And I prayed. I was like, yeah, Lord, I'm a, I don't know what you need to do to change this scenario, yeah. but I'm going to need something to happen And I need it to happen soon because what I'm not going to do is this. So 
girl, they strip you down, you're butt naked, you're spreading your cheeks, lifting your boobs. At the time, I was 100 pounds heavier, so it was a lot of lifting and spreading. You hear me? And you had to put on somebody else's drawers, child. I put them on inside out and upside down, and it didn't matter because you couldn't go without them. That orange jumpsuit was tight, and it was the biggest size. And I was just, I wasn't even humiliated. I didn't make a phone call because I did what I did, and I knew what I did. And I was in a space where I was like, I deserve this. Like, I deserve this. And so I sat in my bunk or whatever you call it in my pod, whatever you call it, sale child. I was in the sale. And I just stayed in there and ended up counseling this woman that was coming off of, <laughs> she was coming down from heroin. And at the time, I was an essay therapist, a substance abuse therapist. And so I'm giving her ideas, deep breathing techniques, mindfulness, child. So I'm still working. I need to take care of myself. As you do. Myself, right? <laughs> But I'm helping her. So she's telling other people, oh, yeah, she's a therapist. And one of my old clients was in there with the girl. It was just a, <laughs> it was just a mess. It was a mess. So I just, I, I did what I could, you know, while I was there to just get through it. When I came out, um, I recognized that I had been depressed. I recognized that it was a part of me that felt like if I do not wake up tomorrow, I'm okay with that. But I had to realize this life is not my own, right? Um, I owe the people that I love the best parts of myself. And so that's when I re-entered therapy and I took the precautions that I needed to. We had already had Mikey in therapy since he was three years old. Um, and we ended up getting a new worker who immediately said, you know what? This boy is not safe for you. He can't remain in this home. He needs to go into facility in order for you, know, you to be safe and for him to be safe. Because with him running away, he's running in the, he was running in the middle of the interstates. You know, somebody could have picked him up and I was just in constant fear of him being picked up and kidnapped and something happening to him. And it's not like he was off his meds. He was on medication. He had pharmacogenetics testing to see which medications metabolized for his DNA. He went to therapy twice a week, not just once a week, but twice mm. a week. Um, and on two different occasions, six years apart, two therapists who didn't know each other, one at age six and one at age 12 said, he's going to kill you one day. He's going to kill you one day. And so just dealing with that mentally and emotionally um, made me a more empathetic person. I was already very empathetic, but I guess it made me more understanding of parents who are doing their very best and they still experience pushback and they still experience the uh, blame for something happening with their children. And sometimes you can do everything right. And you have to recognize that your children have autonomy of persons. They can do whatever they want to do, no matter what you teach them. Mentally, I dealt with that by getting therapy, getting my son therapy. I had to remove the toxicity from the home. Once I was able to remove him from our home physically, I was able to start the healing process. 
I'm still responsible for him. I still visit him. He still calls whenever he feels like it, right? Sometimes it's daily, sometimes it's weekly, whenever he feels like it. But I still have more control now than I did then. And so finding that peace of mind where I know that I'm not going to wake up to a fire or I'm not going to find my baby dead in the you know crib next to me because someone has, or Mikey has put a pillow over his face or being able to sleep through the night without waking up with someone standing over me with a butcher knife. These things are very helpful <laughs> in allowing yourself to heal mentally. And so I guess the lesson that I learned from that was you have to remove the cancer. Yeah. You have to remove it. And I think that's what, with everything that you've said, that's what I want to touch on. What, how do we deal with it? You've said some very important things and things that link back to my own journey where I had to remove myself from the situation. I didn't understand the gravity. And I, I ran with my life because I thought this person was going to kill me. I literally thought, and this person said to me, I am a social worker. I can kill you and walk out in the middle of the street like I'm crazy and nothing will come of it. So mm -hmm. I had to make the decision that my life had more value than that. Mm -hmm. I didn't want my parents to be back in Jamaica crying, you know, thinking that my child went out into the world and she's coming back in a body bag or not coming back at all. Because mm -hmm. for all I know, she was going to kill me and bury me somewhere instead of taking a trip somewhere. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the important things. How do we remove ourselves from a situation that is draining us mentally and emotionally, that is mm -hmm. sucking the life out of us. That's mm -hmm. one of the very first thing that you've got to do. Remove yourself if you can, or remove the person that's killing you, the cancer that's killing you. You've absolutely. got to cut it off. You've absolutely. got to find the strength to cut it off. Absolutely, absolutely. And this would be a perfect segue to just say next week, we're talking about setting healthy boundaries, right? But we'll yeah. get more into that later on. But that's one of the first things that you have to do. First, identify and take inventory of the people around you. What is yeah. this person bringing to me? You know, how is this person adding to my life? Are they adding value or are they taking from me and not replenishing? So absolutely, you have to remove it. And I, I dare not call my son cancer. However, the behaviors that he exhibited were cancerous, cantankerous. They cause us to be physically ill. It really. eats away at you. It, it did. I was unrecognizable, Yushima. For years, mm -hmm. I couldn't look in the mirror. I mm -hmm. couldn't because I remember the first time I, I took note that that's not me who I see when looking back at me. I was mm -hmm. passing a mirror and I literally thought, why can't someone see that I'm not there? Why can't mm -hmm. someone help me? Because I am no longer there. How do I help myself? My mm -hmm. mind was just a mess. Yeah. So it eats away at your insides. I went from, you know, running around the world, doing everything to not wanting to do anything. Mm -hmm. I could eat a whole cake and that's me happy for a day. I'm, and I love my vegetables. I love fruits. I love food. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I mm -hmm. love healthy food as well. I had no interest at all. I had no interest in living. I would wake up and think to myself, why the hell did I wake up? Mm -hmm. Why did I wake up today? How cruel can God be to mm -hmm. wake me up today? 
Yeah. So if Mm -hmm. anything in your life is eating away at you like that, your mental illness, your your mental health deteriorating, it's not just coming from out of the blue. Something is going on in the back of your mind or in the front of your mind. And you've got to figure out what's happening to be able to deal with it. Absolutely. And I just want to piggyback and say, even if everything in your life is going well and you start to feel yourself hitting these deep, dark, patches where you feel depressed and you feel like you can't get out of bed or you're able to mask like myself and like Kamon had to do for all of that time, right? Um, My recommendation is to go and get checked out because it could be a chemical imbalance. You still need to talk to somebody. You you may have a chemical imbalance and it may need to receive um, pharmacological therapy, right? Which could be medications, whatever that looks like. Um, to make yourself feel and be better. And it's not something you have to do forever, but you just may need a reset. All right, come on. So what are you reading right now? Oh, we're at the reading section already. I am actually, Yoshima, and you'll be surprised, but I am listening instead of reading this week because, you know, I do so much reading, mm-hmm. but I am listening to your book, Picking the Pieces mm-hmm. to 100 Broken Promises. I have read it. I edited it and all that, but I'm listening to it now because I want to hear what it sounds like. And I think I'm about 30, 40 minutes in and mm-hmm. already, girl, it's like I'm hearing all your story again for the very first time. So that's mm-hmm. what I'm listening to this week. Guys, it's so audible. Go get it. Picking up the pieces to 100 Broken broken Promises. Have you listened to it yet, Yushima? So I started listening to it. Come on, it's so weird to hear myself in Audible. I love Audible. I love Audible books. I listen to more books than I have time to read. And I started listening to it. And it was like, oh, it's so weird to hear my life narrated back to me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you should listen to it. I think the, the narrator did a brilliant, brilliant yeah. job. And it's really like I'm hearing it for the first time. I think because, you know, it's a new voice. Because when I read it, I read it in your voice. Right. And now hearing her narrate it, it's like, oh, okay. Interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah, that happened. Oh, yeah, that happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know how Yushima went through this. Yeah, yes. I'm enjoying it's, it. It's funny because my book is actually my bounce back story. Yeah. It was literally about how to start over after losing it all. It's called Picking Up the Pieces to 100 Broken Promises. And it is yeah. literally. Imagine that. Back. So I was preparing for this week. <laughs> you were preparing for this week and didn't even put the two together. But yeah, yeah. that's absolutely what it is. But yeah, I'm I'm in the process of restarting my book on Audible, listening to it even though it's like, I have to, please do. It's worth it. I have to like get myself mentally prepared to rehear, to rehash all of that. And I'm also <laughs> listening to DBT. What the heck is DBT, which is dialectical behavioral therapy. And this is something yeah. that I want you to talk to your therapist about, because it really helps you to regulate your emotions and identify ways to cope with very strong emotions. And it gives you time to have the narrative of why you're feeling this way, what it is, unlike CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. And it's just about changing your behavior. Dialectical behavioral therapy is different. It's more intense and it's more adapted to your specific issue, whatever it is that you're feeling, your emotional health. And so I'm actually reading this for someone who needs um, a review. You know, they asked me to read it for them. 
So you're reading for work, sis. I'm reading for work, child. Just forever working, child. Listen, forever working, forever working. But I love it. I'm not complaining at all. But thank you for reading my book. I'm so glad that you're enjoying it. And I'm glad that you picked this great narrator. I mean, wow. I love her I think she's doing a brilliant job. Yeah. Yeah. She really encompasses, you know, who I am. Yeah. And so um, socially, socially, come on, let's move on to socially, because we could stay on this mental health topic. Actually, this could be four different shows, girl. We could just stay on the mental health <laughs> aspect. We definitely do, could, couldn't we? We could the bounce back mentally, socially, financially, and physically, child. We could show yeah. talk about it. But um, moving on to socially, uh, how have you had to bounce back socially? How have you done that? Okay, socially, I'm not going to go too heavy here because I, I, I need to give myself space Time. to breathe as well. <laughs> I really yeah. need to breathe inside myself. Um, Socially, well, hmm, I could talk about all the friends that I've left behind and all the rubbish things they've done. But I think socially, I'm, I'm someone who I've lived in many different countries. And I am at the moment, I don't have a social life per se where I live because I don't have any friends where I live. I moved here just at the start of COVID. I think the day we went into lockdown was the day when I moved everything into the house. So I've not got any friends in the area, but socially I've always constantly, I've had to bounce back in the sense that I've had to create my own social space, create a new friends group and stuff like that mm-hmm. because of my moving and being in new spaces. And for me, that's been, I am usually a very friendly person I usually form join groups. I, I think that my easiest, my easiest go was when I moved from Jamaica to South Africa because I, well, I thought I was in love. I mm-hmm. wasn't. I didn't even know what love was. But I I moved from South Africa, from Jamaica to South, to, to South Africa and I left my friends there. And even that's interesting because I, I had moved from my city of birth to a new city and I had to make friends there. Mm-hmm. I made friends at work. I made friends at the uni. But in South Africa, it was different because I now had to make friends with people whose language I didn't speak. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I had to learn different languages and learn to actually to at least be able to understand what is being said, said around me. I, I have this running joke. I'm not living in any country and among no people and not be able to speak their language because nobody is going to be telling me they're going to kill me and I'm going to be going to be laughing at that. It's right. not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I have to, I have to be able to hear what you're saying. I might mm-hmm. not be able to speak or read it properly, but I must be able to understand mm-hmm. what you're saying. So moving to South Africa was that for me. And I had to find my own friends. Luckily, I went, I started uni there again and I met friends in uni. I had a very beautiful friend, friend group of people from different backgrounds, from different cultures, and that was fun. So it wasn't anything, and we had a beautiful friendship. I think we were eight people in the group with, you know, people falling off here and there now and again, but our core group were eight people and we went through a lot together as a friend group. And yeah, that, that wasn't, that was starting over having new friends. And I think one of the things I want to touch on you, I feel like I'm talking in a circle, but I think one of the things that I want to touch on is for me, what's always been difficult is leaving a friends group in another country 
and maintaining it while I'm living in the new country. That's mm-hmm. always been difficult. Yeah. When I when I lived in South Africa, I had my friends in Jamaica and that was difficult to maintain because my one friend who was my very good friend, I felt like she was too needy. I was starting mm-hmm. a new life, learning new languages. I, I was studying mathematics. I was mm-hmm. not that I, I, you know, spent too much. I was going in a bad relationship at the time. Mm-hmm. But guys, I used to pick bad relationships. I didn't know anything about love. We'll talk about that on another podcast. Yeah. But yeah, I was in a bad relationship and I legit just couldn't maintain the friendship. I mm-hmm. couldn't. And then for me, I've always been that girl. If your if your new partner doesn't want me to call you, I won't call you. You call me when you've got time because mm-hmm. I need you to be in love. I need you to enjoy that. And I'm not going to mm-hmm. mess it up for you. Mm-hmm. And with my friend, she legit just like, she was a bit of a crazy friend. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I do struggle to maintain the friendships once I've moved to a new area. But I'm a social butterfly when I'm in my natural state, when my mental mental health is good. I'm usually a social butterfly and I don't find it difficult. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's so interesting that you said that, that when you moved out of the country, your friend was a bit needy. Here you are having all of these experiences and you're growing and you're seeing things and you have a friend that's stuck in the same space. And while it's not her fault, right, it's still one of those situations where you're like, I think I may need to adapt and adjust the way that I interact with this person for my own well-being. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's good. Socially, I don't like yeah. needy friends. You and I get yeah. along because you're not needy. Needy, I couldn't do it. I just yeah. couldn't. And I think we've all had those friends that are like, what do you call it? emotional vampires, right? Or like they just all suck kinds the of life vampires. out of you. They suck they everything out of suck you. Suck the life out of you. And you end up paying their bills and fighting their men for them or their girlfriends, mm. child. And, you end up showing up for them in the middle of the night while you're pregnant to walk them in the house because they're scared and parked in the back alley, but ain't nobody there to walk you back to your car. Yeah, yeah that really happened to me. <laughs> really, I got out of my yeah. bed nine months pregnant to walk my friend to her door while she was scared to walk inside her house because wow. it was like some crackhead outside. It was crazy. But my ex-husband at the time, he was like, he was my husband at the time. He was like, and who's going to walk you back to the car? Did mm-hmm. she consider that? You're walking her to her door. You're pregnant with our child. Mm-hmm. And me and him got into it, child. And I was like, I'm going to go help my friend. You just don't understand. <laughs> Girl, foolishness, yeah. foolishness. No, I, I know better now. I don't do them things again. If you're sucking me dry, if you're... Now I know how to pick my friends. I yeah. And I have very few friends, but friends, quality friends, quality friends. But how about mm-hmm. you, Yoshima? How how have you bounced back socially? I guess I could do the same. I could come and talk about friends and those experiences of, you know, needing to distance myself. But I think I'm going to take a, a spin on that, a positive spin. I have chosen to be intentional about the way that I show up in my social circles. And what I mean by that is I am intentional about the way that I behave about the things that I receive, about the things that I put out. You know, um, I used to be someone that would just, you could call me at any time of the night or day, I'm there until I was drained, but I never had the vocabulary to ask for help. 
And if I did, they didn't have the capacity to help me because I was the one to always show up for them. And so now I choose to show up in ways that won't drain me, in ways that won't harm me, in ways that allow me to still have peace of mind. And that's been very important for me in my healing process mentally. That's been very, very beneficial to just be intentional about the way that I show up socially for everybody. That's it. That's the way I'm going to just sum that up. I'm summing that right on up. (laughs) That's a beautiful way to sum it up. I think Mm -hmm. in... In this chapter, in terms of how you, the listeners, can bounce back, I think if you if you think about it from a perspective, we lose friends all the time. We mm-hmm. lose friends all the time for different reasons. I am at a place in my life where, I think I said it last week, I'm newly married, and for the very first time in my life, I am with someone who loves me dearly, and I have learned what love is. I didn't know that this thing existed. I'm not going to lie to you. I had no Mm -hmm. idea that there was this part of life that existed. Mm -hmm. And in doing a lot of work in therapy, I've also learned that every relationship needs to be treated somewhat like you treat a relationship as you with if you were in a sexual relationship with someone. Mm -hmm. If you're not going to allow your boyfriend or your girlfriend to abuse you, why are you going to allow your friend Right. It shouldn't be allowed. So nobody should be taking advantage of you. Nobody should be using you. Nobody should be Mm -hmm. treating you poorly. And if you're in friendships and you feel like, you know, I'm always the one showing up for her. I'm always the one doing this for her. Then you need to reevaluate the friendship and decide Mm -hmm. if you can either talk to the person about it and try to fix things or you need to cut that friendship off. I've cut off a lot of friendship. I've cut Mm -hmm. off a lot of family relationships and Mm -hmm. it's the best thing that I've done for myself in life. The best thing. Absolutely. And the bounce back aspect of that for me is you've got to live for you. Mm-hmm. You, you're not going to be alone in this world. There's too many people around for you to be alone. You're mm-hmm. not going to be alone. There are people who are waiting to be your friends. There are people who are waiting to embrace you as your new family unit. And you've got to allow that to come into your life by giving up the things that are holding you back. Mm-hmm. I've done that in the last one and a half years, two years. And darlings, I'll tell you this. The best part of my life is what I'm living now. The best yes. part. Oh, the best part. I agree. I concur with that. These are the best times that I have ever experienced in life, in love, in living. So I agree. I agree. Oh, we have come to my favorite segment. (laughs) It's not my favorite, but it's one of my favorite parts of this of this um, podcast. Now we are going to dive into. Fun fact. Now, <laughs> Yushima, Kamoi, mm-hmm. do you know what Bonobus are? Bonobus? Yeah. No, what is Bonobus. that? B-O-N-O-B-O-S. So no. they're like, they're like from the, I'll, guys, listen, don't judge me. But <laughs> to me, the Bonobus looks like a monkey that stands more upright. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah, mm. but they're like they're like these monkey family, ape family things. Does that make sense? Am I drawing a picture in your mind? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So these bonobos, maybe it's bonobos, I don't know, bonobos or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But my fun fact is is about the bonobos. Now, the female bonobos, they're bisexuals. Yeah. And that's not the fun fact about them. The very interesting part of their sexuality and the way they do things, they're literally like these peacemakers of sorts, but not like, you know, they're trying to achieve world peace by going out there and not trying to bomb a country or whatever. (laughs) These female Bonobus, what they do, if two people are fighting, it could be male or female or whatever. If two of their, it's not people, if two Bonobus, is it Bonobuses? If two of their two of their species are fighting, yeah, they the female will literally jump in and try to get rid of that tension between them, between whoever is fighting, mm. by sexual contact. They will introduce sexual contact and try to simmer things down. Oh like, my god! <laughs> it's not like hey, shut up, hey, stop fighting. No, it's like bring that deal contact. Bring that deal. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't matter who is the aggressor. If it's female, they're up for it. If they're it's up. male, they're up for it. But they're gonna make things like quiet down. Wow, sounds like some dudes I know. That is very interesting. This is why you never tell me a fun fact ahead of time because I am shookest. I am shocked. No, I shouldn't. I had no idea that that even existed. And I can see, now that you name it, I can see the animal in my mind, right? And I can also see them coming through like, let me grab a a, a monkey boot. So I'm going to rescue you and I'm going to jump on it. I'm going to jump on it and hook you up real quick. Let me bring your attention over here. That's interesting. If humans did that, we may it's be like, a You know what's wrong with you? Aggressive. You know what's right. wrong with you? You just need a bit of sex. Come That's on. It. Come on now. Just release some of that tension and let's move on yeah. from there. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Well, I never argue with my husband in public, honey, because if somebody come up trying to rub up on him, it's a problemo. You understand? <laughs> So don't none of you get these ideas, okay? Don't take this and try to implement this in the streets because we don't know what's going to happen. This does not work for humans. This does not work for humans. This is our disclaimer. All right. That is hilarious. All right. That's good. That was a good one. So come on. We have two more topics to cover as far as bouncing back and starting over after losing it all. Okay. So this next one. I don't know if any of you out there have never experienced a financial comeback or bounce back, right? But it's a heavy thing, come on. How have you, if you've ever had to experience a financial comeback, how did you do it and what happened? Wow. I have had so many financial comebacks, so many financial comebacks, but which one can I, can I tap into? Hmm. Like all of them are really heavy. Let's tap into this one because I feel like, and that's going to be part of my book that's coming out soon. Mm. uh, Greater entrepreneurs are made under pressure because I think sometimes people look at entrepreneur, female entrepreneurs who are doing well and think that they've got it made. But Mm. darlings, let me tell you something. We've not got it made. Well, I didn't have it made. And a lot of women, there are 35 women in my book. Yushima is one of them. And Mm. We talk about our stories, about, you know, things that we've been through. But even regardless of that, we've kept we've kept the course, Mm -hmm. taking us to being successful as entrepreneurs today. But 
I think one of the things that I can draw back on here is the fact that I remember years ago, I was young. I've always known that I was going to be an entrepreneur. I've always known that I was going to be successful because I told myself that from a very young age. And whenever someone said, I think maybe up until about high school, people would ask me, what do you want to be? And I'll probably say lawyer or doctor or some nonsense. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean nonsense in a disrespectful way, but the usual things that we are taught to say, Mm -hmm. I would say all these things until I was about, I don't know, I must, I was going to evening school. I just taught myself accounting, sat that exam. And now I was going to evening school for my um, first, my first, um, what is it called? A bachelor's, my first degree. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember being asked this question, you know, what do you want to be? And I thought, I just want to make money. Mm-hmm. I literally just want to make money. And that came out of, I grew up very poor. I grew up, you know, there were days when we were hungry, when there was no food around. So I've I've always had a relationship with money where I understand the value I understand holding on to it. I understand making it. I understand sharing it. I understand the value. And there's two things that I don't mess around with. It's my time and money. And for me, I remember I had, I don't know where I was working at the time, but I've always worked, but I was working for someone and I got, I got laid off, I think, and I was in between jobs because I was looking for another job. Usually I would leave someone's job and I would go get another job and then I'd just maybe leave here today and go start there tomorrow. But I was laid off, I think. It came as a surprise. And I was very young. I must have been about 19 or 20. But I was laid off from this job and I had no plans because I didn't you know, foresee this. I was too young to even think about, oh, I've always got to have a plan B. And being laid off, I think I spent about three or four weeks not having any any um, idea of what I was going to do. And then I got a job when it, I think maybe after a month. But then I had run out of backup money because I, I was I've always been that type of person who I help everyone around me mm-hmm. before looking after myself. So I didn't have savings. I didn't have, you know, my my six months backup to say, OK, if nothing comes in, I'm taking my bills are taken care of for six months. My food is taken care of for six months. Mm-hmm. But I was in this position where there was no money. I had no idea how my rent was going to be paid. I had no idea how nothing was going to be done. And I literally, I even got to the point where I, oh, this is, this is a hectic story as well, because my, my, um, my old driver, I used to have a driver who would take me to work, who would take me to all my social, social gatherings and stuff like that. And he hadn't heard from me for a few days. He tried calling me. He couldn't get me on the phone. And then he decided he was going to come to my house to check on me. He had to do a welfare check. Mm-hmm. And he came, he he couldn't hear me in, in the house, but luckily for me, I always keep my window open. And he looked in the window and saw me lying there without being able to move, girl. Things were so mm-hmm. bad. And that's even where friendships and everything comes in because I didn't have a friend I could call on. I didn't have a family member I could call on. And I was literally suffering from starvation. I was mm-hmm. starving to death in my apartment. And he came, he kicked the door down, took me to the hospital. I remember for the for the weeks until I started a new job, he brought me food, he helped me out mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But I've I've really hit bottom where financial things are concerned. I've been homeless. It wasn't that time, but I've been homeless. I, I've gone through a lot financially. 
And mm-hmm. my bounce back has always been, I've always evaluated situations and mm-hmm. think about, okay, I need this money. This is what I need to do. I Whether or not I make a written list or a mental one, but I always have a plan where it's, okay, this is what I need to do to get back on track. This is what I need to do to be able to not let this happen. Yeah, to be able to pay my rent, to be able to do this, do that. And it wasn't until 2011 where I finally figured out, figured out a formula that works for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In 2011, I remember it started first with prayer. I'm not going to lie. It started with mm-hmm. prayer and saying to God, listen, I've been poor since I was a small child. I've mm-hmm. been facing poverty. I've faced the hungry days. I've faced the, the hardships. I face not being able to pay my school fees in Jamaica, girl. We've got to pay school fees to go to school. You don't pay school wow. fees, you don't go to school. Mm-hmm. So I've been through all of this, and it's about time that you stop putting me through this. I have a different relationship with God than mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of people do. And we talk, we talk yeah. because you're my daddy, but I'm your child and you're gonna look after me. I did not right. ask to be to be here. I don't even know how I'm here, and mm-hmm. I do not want to suffer. So I mm-hmm. had a tough talk with God and said, listen help me get on track and I promise you'll never have to see me here again mm-hmm. and to be honest I have never ever been back there since 2011 mm-hmm. I've never I've never spent a day without food I've never spent a day without with worrying about how my bills are going to be paid because I got to understanding that I've got gifts and talents and mm-hmm. if one thing isn't working out I've got to move when the cheese moves I've got to move with it yeah right right I I've been lucky as well where I listen to my intuition and I have a good connection. I know I'm bringing God into it, but I think it's God. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I have a very good connection with God where I'm able, where if I remember before COVID, I used to be a traveling mathematician. I would travel to countries. I would, you know, do research for companies and NGOs and stuff like that. And just before COVID, I heard in my spirit, start your publishing company. Yeah. And I literally, I just ran with it because I, I promised God that sort me out and Mm -hmm. I, you won't have to worry about me again. Mm -hmm. And when COVID was happening, if I was only a mathematician, when COVID happened, I wouldn't have been able to cover my bills for two and a half years. We had this problem for two years, not being able to travel and all that. Mm -hmm. I would not have been, there are companies that are bouncing back now who wouldn't be able to hire me, but I, in COVID, I was working more than, more than most people. Yeah, me too. I was working nonstop. I was working, Mm -hmm. working, working. I remember waking up and thinking, I thought everybody said that it was times were tough. I thought everybody said that we would get a break. I didn't have a break during COVID because I listened to my intuition. So I think that's very important. Mm -hmm. You have gifts. You have gifts. We all have gifts and all our gifts can be monetized. If you're a singer, go boss go get into a, into a restaurant and tell them that you want to sing because their guests need to hear your voice because you've got the most special voice on the planet. Yeah. Sell yourself and set yourself up. I know some people never will never ever do something for themselves. Yeah. I don't have a problem taking a job here and there when I think it will serve me, when I think it and not just financially, where it will, you know, meet some other needs that I have, whether that's giving back or whatever. I mm-hmm. do care work because I, I I love helping people. I love mm-hmm. going into someone's home and knowing that, you know, I've I've helped them to eat today, I've helped them to get out of bed. I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it 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 feeds my soul. So yeah. I, I will get a job. 
for a period of time if I think it's going to serve me, but primarily I work for myself. Well, even when I'm working for someone else, I'm still working mm-hmm. for myself. So I, I work for myself and I always move with the cheese. If my spirit says the cheese is about to move, girl, I'm about to move. You call today and this publishing company shut down. Know that my spirit said that it, I should have shut it down. So I listen. I listen to my intuition and I have a formula where I save. I make sure that I save that, you know, I, I, I used to hate credit cards. I used to hate them. Mm-hmm. I use credit cards now and I love them because yeah. to me, it's my cushion. It's all that cushion is always going to be there to say, if you fall, I'm going to catch you. And then you, you know, you pay me back in a week or in a month or whatever. Yeah. Right. So I, I think set up strategies that, you know, is it's going to help you use your skills, get jobs, get multiple jobs if you have to. You can sleep later, darling. There are days when I don't even sleep for the day, but it's okay because I'm taken care of for six months in advance or whatever. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Woo! That was a good comeback story. If I have ever, I can't wait to see that movie, child. Listen, <laughs> I'm here for it all oh, day. That is good. Okay, man. I'm like you. I have so many financial comeback stories because I was not taught how to manage money or how to make money, right? My parents were so secretive about what they made and how to handle finances and everything. One lesson that my dad did teach me, I was about 16. I was here visiting him. I still lived in Wisconsin for the most part, but I was here in Alabama uh, staying with him one of the many times. And I wanted some new Nike Force. We had these shoes called Nike Forces. And this, my friends had them and I wanted a pair. And he was like, you can have it. You can have a pair. He said, I want you to balance my checkbook. And whatever's left, you can have it and you can go get your shoes, girl. So I was like, hey, so back in the day for our younger listeners, we had something called a checkbook. And a checkbook is where you kept your pluses and balances, right? So your your, um, expenses and your credits, right? And so when you would get paid, you were writing your checkbook. I got $500. But when you paid a bill, you subtracted from that $500. So my dad gave me all of his bills. He gave me his checkbook and I'm balancing and I'm doing a lot of subtracting, right? It wasn't any additions. <laughs> it was no addition. So I'm just subtracting, subtracting. Girl, it was negative $17.34. I said, um, daddy. It's negative. He said, exactly. Exactly. And so that taught me a lesson right there, right? The value of a dollar. What's more important? My dad's working hard. He's working two jobs and we're still barely able to make ends meet. So that changed the way that I viewed the dollar. Now that's at 16 when I became an adult um, and I was really trying to, uh, build a relationship with my mom. I was buying for her attention and she basically convinced me to leave a relationship that I was in. This man did nothing to me. And um, she convinced me to leave him and come stay with her. And I was just so elated to be able to go stay with my mom. I moved out at 17 and I had never been back in her home. And so this was an opportunity for us to like rebuild. And she sounded like she really wanted me there. Well, I didn't know that she just wanted me there to pay her bills. Now I had already been helping my mom with bills. Now I'm I'm only 20, 
122 at the time, um, but I always paid at least two of her bills per month. I helped my brother with his bills and his kids. And so I was always that person, even though I was the youngest of the bunch. And um, when I got there, she just nickled and dimed me to death. Her car was getting repossessed. Mm. So she needed money to get her car out the repo. She needed money for her lights and gas bill. She needed money for this and that. And I was just so elated to be there that I gave her everything I needed until I had no money left. And so I left a home to stay with my mom. I broke up with this guy. We were supposed to get married in three months. I didn't know that he had purchased a home for us because at the time we were staying in an apartment. So I left that situation to stay with my mother because I was broken. I was a broken person at this time. Don't judge me, guys. We have since made amends. Me and the guy, he's fine. He's married. He is happy, healthy, and whole as am I, right? We've moved on. Um, it's in my book, Picking Up the Pieces to 100 Broken Promises. Yeah. It's in the book, but we'll talk about that another time. So when all of my money was gone, and it was a couple thousand, you know, when all my money was gone, which was in a two weeks period, my mother told me to get out of her home and to leave. And at the time I had my daughter with me, who was about eight years old. So I ended up being homeless. Um, for several months and a lot of tragedy came it's very expensive to be poor it is very expensive to be poor and that was one thing that I found out I was spending more money in a day not having a place to live than I ever did when I had my home right and so I've always been very independent on my own I didn't tell anybody that I was homeless I lived in my car I would go visit friends and um, secretly wash my daughter up, or we would go to hotels and go into their lobby bathroom and wash up there. Um, I would ask a friend if we can shower at her home, but she didn't know like I was homeless. She just thought maybe I was tired or whatever, but we slept in my car. And until a tragedy happened, I stayed that way for probably two months. Um, I was working full time. I was a student. So it wasn't like I didn't have the means to get on my feet, but because I was spending so much money every day out of pocket for food, because I didn't have a place to store it. I had a little Hyundai Sonata. I didn't have a mini fridge or anything. So we had to eat out every day. I had to pay for gas every day because I needed the car to be running because it was uh, winter time. Um, I needed money for clothing because we couldn't pack. My mother wouldn't let me get my clothes out of her home. You would have thought I'd done something to her the way that she put me out of her home, right? Um, she just said I was cock blocking. That was the reason why she wanted me to leave. And so she kept my big screen TV. She kept my clothing. She kept everything that I had taken there after my money was gone. So I was saving what I could, but for the most part, I was spending much more out than I could ever save. And once I got back on my feet, I said, you know, I would never allow myself to get back into the situation. Um, but I ended up getting married and I was working. I had my own business. I was doing workshops and all these different things to bring in money. And we ended up moving to Alabama. And at the time, my husband, at that time, my ex-husband now, he was like, no, you don't need to work. Just go ahead, focus on school. I was an undergrad at the time. I was going to school for psychology. And 
it was a good idea. I was like, okay, I'm just going to focus on school. I'm going to do what I need to do to get myself together. And during that time, I had dipped in my savings. I was using money here and there. He was the primary um, income. His income was the primary income. He was income primary. He was the primary income provider. And I did my part by doing everything else, right? And one day he just upped and left. He just upped and left. I had no idea where he was. He had not, I found out later, he had not paid the mortgage in seven months. He had been smearing my name to the finance company for our vehicle. When I went to check on the status of our vehicle at the time, we had a a Montero Sport, a Mitsubishi truck. And I went to see, you know, what is the status on the truck? She said, oh, I thought you left him and moved to Milwaukee, right? Which is where we were from. So he had went and just spread all these lies to all of our different financiers that I was leaving him for another man in a different state. And that's why he couldn't pay the bills or, you know, all these different lies that he told. And so I had to like pick up those pieces because I wasn't working. I chose to stay home and I thought that we were putting in our equal share um, in the relationship, in in our life. I thought we were building something. And so that was my second lesson with money, you know, um, not being prepared for those times. Like you said, you have a six month cushion, right? I didn't have a six month cushion. I probably had like a two month cushion. And that was even pushing it because our mortgage was seven months behind. He had planned this for seven months. He had been saving his money. I wasn't privy to our bills. I didn't know what was paid, what was unpaid. I didn't have any information about our financial status. I didn't have access to his bank account. Everything was completely separate, right? Because I trusted that he was doing the right thing. Well, no, that ended up not being it ended up being something that I, I found that I would never do again. My bounce back from that, I started working. Um, after our divorce, I didn't date or speak to anyone for two years. I was able to provide for myself and my, my family, my children. Um, and I just did what I needed to do to make sure I had a savings. I made sure I treat, I did treat myself, but it was in my budget. So I made sure that I put all expenses in my budget and I made sure that I had some type of cushion because I never wanted to get caught in that scenario again. I have always been the one to help other people and I never asked anyone for anything, but let me tell you about the way my God showed up for me, right? My father. Uh, he would send people to my home when I needed things. Just close friends. It was two friends he mainly used. It was uh, Kim and Tim, which is a couple. They would show up for things for Mikey, clothing. They would show up with food. Like the Lord just told me to bring this over. And it would be like, like you, come on. Like we were like at our, our end. Like it was like, okay, Lord, I don't know. I'm just trying to make ends meet. I would just not eat and let the baby eat or whatever. And they would show up with these things. And one time a friend of mine, Jacine, showed up. Um, I had paid her mother's rent like two months before that. She needed help with something. And she showed up and said, the Lord told me to bring you this amount of money. And to the penny, 
was how much I needed to pay my rent that month because I had part of it, but not the whole thing. And so she showed up and she just, you know, gave me that with no questions asked, you know, and that's the way the Lord provided for me because I would never ask anyone for anything. I was just not that person. I just was not used to people showing up for me in those spaces. I was always the one to fill in the gap. Um, but now financially, my financial wellness is no longer defined by the amount of money I bring in, but by the experiences that I want to have, mm -hmm. if that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to have a roof over my head, <laughs> basic needs, right? If we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I need my physiological needs met. I need to make sure I have food and water. I need to make sure I have clothing and a roof over my head. I need my bills to be paid, but then there's things I want outside of that. Mm -hmm. So then I want to have entertainment. I want to have, I want to be able to eat out every now and again. I want to be able to have a savings account. I want to be able to have uh, funds to be able to travel if that's what I need to do, right? I want to be able to have funds if I pay my credit card bill twice. On accident. <laughs> like you did. <laughs> like I did last week, right? I paid my credit card off twice on accident. But thank God that didn't bankrupt me. Yeah. Right. Because that could have easily bankrupted me had I not had that cushion where I could say, Lord. And when I say I was thanking God to be in a position where my account was overdrawn mm -hmm. and all I had to do was take money from another account or get cash out of my, you know, cash box and take it to the bank and place it in my account. That is the space that I want to be in. Yeah. So whatever that looks like to keep me in this space where I don't have to worry about what I'm going to eat, where I'm going to live and how I'm going to make ends meet. That is the comeback and the bounce back, the space that I want to be in. And that's where I am. And I'm very thankful to be here, but it took me a long time to get here. Yeah. Yeah. Because like you said, Yushima, at, this, at the start of it, you said something very important that no one taught you how to do these things. Mm -hmm. A lot of us, no one sat us down and tried to teach us the value of money, the importance of money, how to handle money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. a, a lot of us have negative, you know, a negative relationship with money. A lot. Mm -hmm. I, 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 when someone says to me, I don't want to be rich, I don't want to be wealthy. I'm like, girl, what are you talking about? <laughs> We are all out here trying to be rich and wealthy. Yes, you mm -hmm. might not want your, your wealth to buy Louis Vuitton and whatever, but wealth can do so much for you. So I don't see why you wouldn't want it. I want to be filthy rich. I want to wake up and think, oh, I don't even want to wake up. I've got too much money to wake up now. Yes. <laughs> I want to have so much money. That I'm like, oh, I'm yes. not even going to answer my phone. That's a problem to have. Listen, that's I think... the problem that I want, having yeah. too much money. It's a cultural thing. I believe Christianity has caused people to have the misconception and people say about money, right? People say the root of all evil is uh, money, but the root of all evil is the love of money, right? The if root you... of all good. I love money as well. And I don't think there's no evil to it. I have a very good relationship with money where, where I am. Money can exist and God can exist equally. Absolutely. Love and everything that is good can exist because they're all coexisting together beautifully. I love money. I love it. I love it with capital and gold <laughs> letters. 
So there's no mistake that Kimon loves no. money. At the I love money, guys. I love it. But I think the misconception there is that people are willing to do whatever it takes to gain riches, which will keep them. No, I'm not going to do that because if this, I, you know how I love money? I hate bad blessing. Right. Bad blessing, I want nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. Nothing at all. And I think that's where the misunderstanding comes in yeah. with money. And then hearing your parents speak negatively about people who have money or, yeah. you know, speak negatively about those rich people, right? Who wants to be one of those people who are just, okay. you know, evil and mean and rude and just, you know, they no, take, they're they take. Not. And that is the ideology that our parents and our grandparents instilled in us. They didn't teach us like you said, the value, the true value to how to have a healthy relationship with money. Yeah. And I think that was the way for them to cope, honestly, because they didn't have means yeah. like that. So one way for them to cope is to what? Make it something that's bad, something that's eternal. Switch to turn to no, switch off because it's it anyway. unattainable yeah. for them. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't want that, you know, and that's a way for them to feel better about this situation. And they did what they needed to do, but it's a different time now. And I think we need to be realistic about what it is that we need, what it is that we want, and how it is that we can make those things happen. Yeah. For us and understand and that children. Yep. And the grandchildren and the great grands. We it's Absolutely. time to start building generational wealth. Generational wealth. I think in, in wrapping this one up, I, I think what we need to take away is that you it doesn't matter. You can hit rock bottom financially a thousand times over, mm-hmm. but there is enough money in this world for you to get your hands back on some. Yeah, that's the one thing that I want you to always remember, because that's important. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm not at the best place I want to be financially, because in the last year, I've had a lot of outlay. My business has taken a lot of my money, a lot of things in my personal Mm -hmm. life. I just got married last year, Mm -hmm. you know, not even a month. Oh, yesterday was a month. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a month yesterday. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you, my darling. I hear congratulations about the wedding from Yushima every day. Every every day. day. I'm so happy. (laughs) But yeah, no, I'm not where I want to be, but I know how to get back to where I want to be. I know how to get to a place where there's so much savings in my bank account that I don't have to worry about what I'm spending too much. yeah? Yeah. So and one of the things that Yushima said that's very important, you cannot live in a home. Well, well, darling, let me let me put a pin there. I have lived in homes with people. I've lived with girlfriends before who I don't let them see my bank account because until my current partner, I hadn't met someone who I trusted with my bank account. I hadn't met someone who I could say, you know, OK, I've got two thousand pounds in my bank account and them not thinking, how do I get all that two thousand pounds from her? Yeah. So don't my my advice to you, if you're living in a home where the person where your husband is the only one that manages the money, your wife is the only one that manages the money. It might be time to reevaluate things to see if you are in a relationship, because if you're in a relationship, you've got to understand what's happening inside your home. Worse, even if you're signing a lease. You've got to know when the lease starts, when the lease ends, so that if something happens, you're not falling on your bum, not knowing what to do. Know what bills are being paid and make plans. Okay, if this guy died tomorrow, I can do this on my own. If this guy decides to run off tomorrow, I can do this on my own. I think that's important. And the other thing is, Yushima has done it, I've done it. 
Stop helping people at the cost of yourself. Amen. Stop it. Stop it. I have done it for years. It wasn't until last year where I had to shake myself up and say, listen, I just had a sister, my own sister, my own blood. We share blood, guys. I'm not talking about a sister who I meet down the street. I'm talking about my blood sister Mm -hmm. ripped me off of money and just walked out the door. Yeah. And -hmm. before I would be like, oh, it's just money. We can we can build a relationship. No, stop letting people use you up. If people are only there to use you up then let them go. Let them go. When when you are hungry, who's there to feed you? When you don't have bills, when you can't pay your bills, who's there to help you up? Yeah. Stop giving away your money. Look after yourself and make plans for yourself. And the other thing I want to say is to love on yourself financially. You can't be working constantly and you're only working to pay bills. You can't. Save some of your money, but also you enjoy some of your money. If you're going to only save your money, you're going to drop dead tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And whoever you've left your money to, whether it's uh, someone in your will or you've you know, left it to the government or some pet you know, charity or something, but you've also got to enjoy your money. You deserve to enjoy your money. And it took me a long time to understand that. A long time. Guys, mm-hmm. I used to send my sisters to university. Mm. I had to manage a home in Jamaica with grown adults. I had to manage a home in the UK. I had to do so much on my own. And I I would sacrifice myself. I'd just eat rice and beans, just Mm. rice. I mean, rice and beans on its own, no meat, no gravy, nothing. And one day I was eating this and my sister called me and she was like, what are you eating? And I said, rice and beans. And she went, I couldn't eat that. Mm-hmm. Darling, this child's school fee was paid up. She had her lunch money to go to school, to her taxi fare and money to buy food when she got to school. And her food bill, not even food bill, I would sit down every single month and make sure there's meat, there's food to cook in the house for the month. And whatever mm-hmm. is left over was what I took. You don't deserve to live like that. Mm-hmm. You deserve to live a better life. Enjoy your money that you are making. That's all I want to say on the financial topic. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. You just hit on so many things and we can keep this thing going. Let me just say this. Financial transparency in a relationship is not an option. It's it should not. be an expectation. It mm-hmm. should be a deal breaker. If you cannot be transparent about where we are financially and we are linking up and we are living in the same home and there's a a chance that you may end up on your own, you make sure you have enough resources to take care of all of your bills, everything on your own in case anything happens. If you are married, you must have a life insurance policy to cover your bills, to cover everything. I'm not sure if you could, I'm sure you could get it if you're not married too. Um, but whatever the situation is, make sure you can take care of yourself in situations if your partner left or if something were to happen, if they became injured, if anything happened, just make sure you're able to take care and cover yourself. Another thing I wanted to touch on that um, Kamon said, investing in things that fail to give you a return. If these people and situations were stock options and you kept pouring your money into them and you never saw a return, you would stop. Exactly. Stop investing in people, in things that fail to bring you a return. This can be shopping. This can be paying for all of the bills and taking care of another grown adult that does not bring any value to your life. 
This can be paying for meals all the time or drinks when you go out for, with friends, right? This can be just useless spending because you may have a way of coping that's unhealthy or unhealthy relationship with your money. Whatever it is that you're doing, be very intentional about the way that you choose to experience your money. I don't even want to say spend it, right? The yeah. way that you choose yeah. to experience your money. What is this going to bring me in return? How long is this sensation going to last? How many of us have bought outfits, bought bags, bought shoes that we've never worn? And that's going to be a challenge. Come on. I'm wearing everything me. in our freaking closet. Me. Because we have things that, come on, has a closet like a, like a beautiful horse. All of her things are beautiful and perfect and neat and color coordinated. But it's and so does Yoshima. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Mine look like a hurricane came through. Right now it does. But we have to be very intentional about the way that we spend or use, utilize, experience our money. We need to yeah. do the same thing with our time, right? We need to be very cautious and conscious about the way we experience our time. And so I agree with you 100%. Set your financial wellness goals to be something that brings you peace of mind. Yeah. And budget, guys. Budget. That's the last mm -hmm. thing I want to put in that. That helps me a lot. Absolutely. A lot, a lot, a lot on my journey. A lot. When I was buying this house, I I, I bought it in 2020, I think. Mm. I think it's 2020. Yeah, 2020 was COVID time, isn't it? Mm -hmm, when mm -hmm. I was buying this house, I had, so the year before I had set a goal and I had done my budgeting. So every month this money was going out of my main bank account. Mm -hmm. But because I had automated it from January of 2019 and I had set things up, I'd done my, you know, I told God, this is what I want. Mm -hmm. I literally even forgot. I remember the end of the year came. It was January morning when the girl I was dating at, at the time, she was like, oh, I thought you were going to buy a house. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've got to do that. And I had saved way more than I needed to save because I had set up everything. My budget was working for me. And mm -hmm. once you set your budget, you don't have to go back to it monthly. It's not something that you have to go to. And even if you've got to go to it every month, you don't have to think of it negatively. Yeah. Right. right. Oh, I agree 110%. Okay, come on. I don't know how long we've been doing this thing, right? But we just have one more topic to cover yeah. in this particular uh, podcast for this particular subject. Okay. So, all right. Come on. You know what time it is. This, this is, is not a drill. drill. Let's play naughty or nice. So which one do you want? Ooh, ooh. I think I'm going to go with naughty. Naughty. You always pick naughty. Naughty girl. <laughs> naughty girl. Okay, okay, okay. Let me find a naughty question. So listen, listen. Okay, okay. If you had to start an OnlyFans, what would yours be right now you're married you're a married woman <laughs> and Kay is not having no foolishness but oh, what wow. would your only fans encompass what would you do with all those people but, watching but isn't only fans for naughty things like... not always you can you can be creative oh is it yeah you can but do... isn't it about the body don't you get paid to show stuff so first of all that shirt you have on today ma'am will get you at least <laughs> But you know, but you know, I think that if I had to do it, 
because mm, I'd probably not show my boobs where my nipples are. I wouldn't show my toes. I wouldn't make money on that. Nobody would pay to see those. (laughs) (laughs) My hands are beautiful, but my wife loves them too much. I would, but my wife loves all of me too much. If I had to do this OnlyFans thing, what am I going to show? I think I'll show some some cleavage. I'll just be like modeling some, you know, sexy tops, mm-hmm. you know, different tops and stuff. I wouldn't show my boobs, but I'll probably show some cleavage. But well, no, will anybody pay to see my cleavage? Yeah. I'm sure they can see that somewhere. No, people have different, I don't want to call it fetishes. Dare I say fetishes because I don't want to be offensive. But people have different interests. Yeah. And girl, you could just, with your cleavage, wash dishes. Girl, soak them bad boys up. <laughs> I dip them bad boys and wash dishes and show with your show with your boobs with cleave. You got a shirt on though. There you go. Grab the pot. Say naughty things. Do you want to see my cleavage? I'm gonna clean this lasagna container from last night with these boobs. Yes, girl, they would eat that stuff up literally and figuratively. Go ahead. Luckily, I don't want an only only. What would what would you do on yours? Oh God, I'm so goofy. I when I think I'm being sexy, my husband laughs at me. So there's nothing sexual I can even do. Cause he just thinks I'm a goofball. So I would probably just record myself for a certain amount of time doing regular schmegular stuff. Because it's people that will well, people pay, pay to pay for that. see you live your life. Girl, yeah. I would just really? girl, I'll be writing notes with my toes. I put this pen just like this. For, for our viewers, I'm placing my pen. In between my big toe and my other toe, and I am acting like I'm writing. And girl, that's probably about six thousand dollars right there in three minutes. Girl, you just never know. You're lying. There's no such to, thing. You have to find your niche. Like whatever it is, you go and you look up stuff. People send in their used underwear for money. They take oh, no, them off and mail them that. out. I wouldn't I do that do either. That. I'm scared of the DNA situation. Like I don't want you to plant my jaw somewhere and say I killed somebody. <laughs> that's where my mind went. It didn't even go to the other thing. But I would just like live my life. I will find people that's just boring like me that like to like see people do things. And I would like retwist wow. my hair. I would brush my teeth. I would read my books. I would do my work. And people I would have an OnlyFans. People are bored. But I would like wear something crazy. Wow. I'd probably wear like, oh, I would wear the outfit that we did the photo shoot in the white shirt and the lace pant, the lace stockings. <laughs> But I would be like living my life, just not doing anything too much, you know. So, yeah. 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 I don't I think I'd do an OnlyFans. Maybe. And that's not to look down on anyone doing it because I think yeah. it's cool. If you can use your boobs, your vagina, your any parts, your toes. Mm-hmm. Imagine using your toes to become a millionaire. Girl. You can, you can use your eyebrows. You in. Imagine. People just show just the eyebrows, girl, and just get paid. That'd be crazy. Wow. That would be crazy. So that could be a challenge. Start an OnlyFans page. No, no, no. Let's let's not do a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not do an OnlyFans challenge. (laughs) No. Imagine my business deal start falling and I'm like, what's wrong? We are professionals. I'm a whole therapist and you're a whole OnlyFans. Oh my god. Like, why are you on there, sir? Right? Okay, get out of here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Judging me. We on the same platform. Quit playing. Okay, that was funny. All right. So we're talking about the bounce back guys. How to start over after losing it all. I know this is gonna be a, a, a big one for you, come on. Physically, have you ever had to bounce back physically from something? Hmm. Physically in what sense? 
So it can be regarding your health, your environment. You talked about homelessness, moving, whatever it is, whichever one of those subjects you want to, you choose to cover. Yeah, I've had to. I have had to. I, I, in, in all, in all ways, but because I've, I've talked about all the overlapping things before, I think with my health, and this is, this is a very interesting one. Years ago when I had my YouTube, I did talk about this on it, but I, I struggle with my weight. I don't think I struggle as much now because I'm in a place where I am healthier overall. I'm healthier in my mind. I'm healthier in my body. But um, I, I've, I remember years ago when I, and you know, guys, there are times in life when you have these breakthroughs, when things happen to you. And then the moment that you understand why it's happening to you, then it gives you clarity to, to change the, 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 you know, how things are going. And I struggled with my weight for a few years up until about, I don't know, 24, 25. I never truly had any issues with my weight. I was always this skinny girl, two big boobs. I look like a stick, you know. <laughs> I I never had an issue with my weight. No one had ever said to me, oh, you're, you know, or maybe I've never took note of it. Mm -hmm. Because when I think about it, my sisters were always cruel. So they probably, I I know they had a problem with my color, but I don't think they teased me about my weight. I don't think my weight was ever an issue. And then I found myself struggling a few years ago where I would get what I would gain 30, 40 pounds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I would do the work to lose it and then I would gain 50 more pounds yeah so I was gaining weight gaining weight gaining weight and not understanding what was happening and I had to I remember I was doing this YouTube video and I had to figure out what was happening why was this happening to me what was I doing wrong what was I not doing well enough yeah Mm -hmm. and I realized that when I'm depressed I eat nonsense yeah and it's the first sign when I start picking up weight. I've always said to people, when you see me gaining weight, don't congratulate me because something is fundamentally wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Usually I eat healthy and I, I'm not excessively healthy. I'm not some one of I, I'm not vegan. If anything, I'm a meatarian. Yeah. <laughs> or carnivore. <laughs> so, <laughs> I I I, I realized that okay, so. I'd look in the mirror, my tummy's high, my I've got some flaps, I'm, I'm a bit huge, in my mind huge, and I'm like, what's wrong? So I got to that place where I had to stop and say to myself, come on, what's wrong? Mm-hmm. Yeah? And that made me get to the point of trying to unpack things. There are times now, if I start climbing the stairs in my home and I realize that I'm struggling, then girl, I'm going to stop right there. Something is wrong. What's going on? What's making you unhappy? Why are you gaining weight? Yeah. And I'm not like obsessive about it, but I understand my body. I understand what's happening with me. So when I'm stressed or depressed, I eat nonsensical. I will just eat cakes. I will just eat cakes. Can I please have cake? Can I please have cake? Can I please have more cake? Yeah, I'll eat three donuts and then I'm finished. And then it's like, I've eaten nothing. And I'm like, oh, but I want the cake in the fridge. And I get that. And if there's no cake in the fridge, I want to go and, you know, eat. I need to go to the shop and get it. And I remember around the same time, at the time, I think I lost lost 52 pounds in total because 
I was huge Yashima I had gained so much weight like Mm -hmm. so much weight and I didn't realize it but I had gone to the shop I was in a relationship with this person I told you guys that I do these bad relationships guys don't judge me I just didn't understand the life I didn't (laughs) I really didn't but I was in this relationship she was in another country at the time and we were doing long distance dating and this woman would wind me up on the phone she always found something to argue about mm. and I to me when you're in love and I know now for a fact when you're in love you're not constantly arguing you're not constantly right. bickering you're not constantly living in you know this level of unhappiness mm-hmm. and we would argue and then this time we had this argument I threw this cup against the wall it even had my tea in it it mm. made a huge mess it broke everywhere And the next thing I did in in that, I went to the shop. I bought three full bags of chips, um, Mm. chocolate. I bought so many chocolate. I bought so many chocolate. Mm. Every chocolate looked attractive to me on that day. I Mm. bought all this food and I brought it home. And I said, okay, it's going to last me the week. It's going to last me a few days. Yushima, I was just sat there fuming about this argument with this woman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She was trying to call me. I didn't want to take the call because I'm like, I need to calm down. I need you to just leave me alone for a bit. And I'm eating this chocolate, eating this chocolate. And then I remember I reached into a bag and then I couldn't feel anything in the bag. Mm. And I'm like, what? I reached into another bag. There's nothing. I got up and I searched for this chocolate because I had just bought three bags of chocolate. Mm. Like I'm not, I'm not talking about three packs of chocolate, you know, right, I'm right. talking about three grocery bags, mm-hmm. three grocery bags. Mm-hmm. I looked around, I looked around, I looked around, there was nothing. And I thought I'm getting calmer. I really want the chocolate. I'm feeling better. I really want chocolate. And I dug down the entire house. I dug down the, the fridge. I dug down the cupboards. I dug down my bags. I dug down the entire house because the shops were closed. And the only way I was going to get chocolate, more chocolate, is if I found it in the house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I searched and I searched and I searched and I didn't get it. And I remember breaking down and thinking, not only am I feeding this depression, but I'm also a a sugar addict. This is what a cokehead would do. This is what somebody on drugs would do. Look Mm -hmm. at me pulling this house apart, trying to do this. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's and binge eating. It mm-hmm. was, mm-hmm. it was. I remember realizing that this was happening to me and looking in the mirror. I decided that I had to look in the mirror. I took all my clothes off. I looked at myself and I was disgusted with myself. Mm-hmm. I was disgusted with what I'd just done. Yeah. I mm-hmm. never be someone to puke my food up. So I, I, I wasn't going to waste that because that was going <laughs> to waste my money. Yeah. So I literally sat down and I made a plan. I made a plan that I was going to get back on track and I was going to clean my body out and honor my body and say I'm sorry to it for what I had done, not only then, but for the few months that I'd led up to that. And within about three, four months, I lost about 52 pounds because I, I ate healthy. I drank my water. I stuck to it and I did all the work that I needed to do. But I also did the mental work. I was going to my counseling sessions. You know, I, I I did the work that I needed to do. Mm-hmm. Even now, it's not so difficult for me to lose weight. And I think the relationship that I'm in also contributes to that. I'm not constantly trying to lose weight anymore because I'm happy. I'm healthy. 
Yeah. Mm. I might pick up a few pounds and I'm like, Ooh, I don't want to go back to where I was. I don't want to go back to, you know, that, but I don't have those emotions anymore where I just want to eat constantly and kill mm. myself with food. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. <sighs> yeah. You just, you hit the nail on the head. We could wrap up. No, I'm just kidding. That was really good. That was good. Like, I don't even, because our stories are so similar. The way we could just put our lives together, even though you're like 62 years younger than me, right? It is crazy. Yeah, I was a binge eater. But even before that, if I just look at my health, my physical health and wellness, like I said, my son poisoned me for a course of six six to seven years using Uh different household items, just using all kinds of things that he had looked up on the internet that he had access to. And so I was physically ill for a very long time, but I was also very heavy. I was obese. You go to the doctor and the doctor called, you know, you're obese if you're over a certain BMI. Uh, And so I was very mindful about the fact that I was overweight, but I also knew I had polycystic ovarian syndrome, right? Or PCOS. I knew I had hypothyroidism. I started going to my doctor regularly trying to find a way to help regulate my hormones. So uh, my cortisol levels would, you know, even out so that I'm able to process and my metabolism will kicking in when I'm exercising. None of those things mattered. I exercised, Even when I change my diet, I may lose a little bit of weight, Um, but because stress caused me to hold on to my weight and I had all these other medical issues that contribute to weight gain and maintaining unhealthy weight, I needed assistance. I talked to my doctor and I worked very closely with my doctor and I ended up losing a hundred, about 115 pounds um, over the course of a year. And so doing that, I had to realize that depriving myself of something I like, I like cake. Okay. Mm. I love it. I love a little Debbie. Mm-hmm. I love a, a Edgar's bakery. I love a homemade cake. I love a box cake, honey. I love a baby <laughs> cake and a daddy cake. Listen, I love a cake. <laughs> All right. And so I realized that I no longer have to deprive myself. I just have to listen to my body and be mindful. I don't have to eat the whole piece. I don't have to eat the whole cake. I don't have to eat the whole piece. If I just get a half of a piece or even a fourth of that piece, sometimes that will activate my brain to say, okay, you're good. You're satisfied now. And to yeah. listen to that part of myself that says that's enough, right? You, you've, you've had enough right now. So just being mindful when I eat, taking my time when I eat. You've seen me driving up the road eating a piece of strawberry cake for lunch. That was last week. <laughs> what was that? Like last Wednesday. And you said, I know that's not your lunch. And it wasn't really mm-hmm. my lunch. But I thought <laughs> I'm going to eat this cake right now, right? But I still have that same piece downstairs. You know what I'm saying? Because I only yeah. eat enough to satisfy my craving. And so just being mindful of things like that um, and working closely with your doctor, but doing research. I needed to know, like you did, what's going on with my body? Why am I experiencing this? Why am I gaining this weight? The first time I had a huge weight gain, and I don't want to make this all about weight, right? Because you can be uh-huh. yeah. uh, a bigger person and still be 
healthy. Lizzo very will outdance. Healthy. Very Lizzo healthy. can outdance the smallest person. Okay, Lizzo be getting it. So I don't know why people <laughs> yeah. up in her DMs are talking crazy about her child. I would love her stamina any day. I would love it. Mm. Um, but just being mindful about or just educated on why this is happening and why is this happening to me as a black woman in this age group? What are some factors that can cause weight gain? Do you know that racism and discrimination is also a cause? For weight gain, it, it would be women, because it adds stress in it. It adds stress it adds to your stress, life, right? And so, in my research, I found that there are so many factors that contribute to gaining weight. So, before we judge someone, even ourselves, let's be mindful that we may not understand or know everything that someone is struggling with. And if we cannot offer them support and grace, if we cannot offer them understanding or a solution then we need to just mm-hmm. keep our thoughts to ourselves and extend our prayers. That's it. Yeah. That's all people need because there's so much bullying going around uh, regarding weight and it's causing people to be very unhealthy. The first person I think about is Khloe Kardashian. You can see her hip bones. You can see her Ooh. pelvic bones. You know, now I guess she's taking- no, I haven't seen her. A, 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 allegedly, she's taking a pill that's causing her to, you know, use a lot of weight. And I'm sure she's had surgeries and stuff, or allegedly she's had surgeries and stuff. And so when we feel bad about ourselves, it's easier for us to destroy our bodies in those ways um, on a subconscious level. And so once Mm -hmm. we start to gain momentum and being healthier in every other way, our physical cells will follow that. Our physical cells will follow that. So my comeback was, learning what I needed. My bounce back was learning what I needed for myself, for my body, finding out what works, treating that and working closely with my doctor, a personal trainer, and just loving myself in all of my stages. That's what helped me to to accelerate. But loving myself was it because I didn't Mm -hmm. love myself. As I said, I didn't truly understand what love is. yeah, I, I think my bounce back first, I I got a lot of people out of my life that didn't belong there. And that healed so many Absolutely. things for me. It mm-hmm. healed so many things for me. And I am happier. Like one of my friends said, I seem way happier than I have been since she's known me. She has known me since I was 12 years old or 11 <laughs> years old. She yeah. has known me most of my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's what I've been doing for myself I'm getting rid of the things that do not feed me if it does not Mm -hmm. feed my soul I'm getting rid of it and it's okay to get rid of it family members Mm -hmm. friends get rid of them if people are dragging you down get rid of them because your mind and your emotional well-being your mental health well is is very they're very important Mm -hmm. and those things will help other things in your life to align that will help you take care of your physical Absolutely. I agree with that. I agree with that. When I forgave my mother for the trauma that I experienced during her parentship over me, I lost 35 pounds and I hadn't changed anything. Wow. I had just worked through forgiving my mother and that took two months. And this was like 10, no, now this was like 15 years ago. And Hmm. so just thinking back to that, how our emotional state can cause us to hold on to weight because our bodies are saying something is wrong, something is wrong. We have to hold on oh, to this yes. fat 
yeah, we, we got to hold on to this in order to survive, right? Yeah. Our primal instincts kick in, you know, physiologically. Yeah. So I agree. Wow. Good stuff. Come on. Good stuff. Good stuff. Come on. Do you have anything else to add to the physical bounce back? No, I think we've covered it. I think we've really covered it. It can be, as we said earlier, it can be anything for you, anything physical. I didn't use the physical parts of having to rehome and stuff like that because, mm-hmm. I mean, you got, we talked about it earlier, but yeah, it can be anything. So you decide what it is for you, whether it's your weight, whether it's, you know, trying to get into a shelter or stuff like that, if you're physically displaced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think I've got anything else. Have you? No, that's it. I do want to say if you need resources and you find yourself mentally, socially, financially, or physically in need in the U.S., I know you can dial 211 from your cellular phone and receive assistance according to your zip code. Community resources will provide a list of things that you can utilize in your community, hopefully within walking distance, but someone can come to you if, you, if you're unable to get to them. And I just want to encourage you to utilize the resources. You've paid into it. You've paid your taxes. Don't be too proud like I was. Don't be too proud like Kamon to ask for assistance. No, I I wasn't too proud because when I lived in South Africa and I was homeless, I did ask for assistance. But because I wasn't South African, I couldn't get into the women's shelter. That's, yeah, that was a weird thing. But I figured it out. Yeah. So they turned you away because you weren't a citizen? I actually called and then she was taking all the details and then she needed my ID number. Every South African has an ID mm-hmm. number. But I also understand because it's a country with limited resources. Mm-hmm. And I suppose to now have to worry, because even here in the UK, mm-hmm. I couldn't just show up at a shelter. I couldn't because mm-hmm. I'm not, that's public funds. And you're not allowed public funds unless you're a citizen of the country. Got it. Okay, that's interesting. So find out what you're eligible for. Um, I know in the U.S., they have to help you to a certain extent, no matter where you come from. Um, So be sure to just try contact 211 from your cellular device and tell them exactly what it is that you need. And hopefully you receive some resources is there anything like that in the UK come on like yeah there's loads and loads and loads I think as you're talking what we're gonna do is that give us until maybe at the end of the week but I'll have a resources page added to the website where you can go and grab different resources for different things yeah so check out our website it's www.thesystem and remember system is s-i-s-t-e-m podcast.com and I'll leave you guys some resources there Perfect, perfect, perfect. All right, come on. It sounds like this is, we are coming to an end. We are wrapping it up. After we've taken all their time. Oh my God. This has been a long one, you guys, but I think it was important. And I want you to share your experiences. How have you bounced back? What's your comeback story? Or are you in the midst of going through something right now and you can use some support or some resources, um, please let us know. Drop down in the comments wherever you're listening or watching this from. Give us and shoot us an email. Go to our website, contact us, and we'll try to get you connected to resources in your community. And hopefully your community of sisters on the system can also provide you with additional support. Okay. I Um, agree with that. Yes. So 
Let me ask you this. What are you manifesting for this week? Oh, wow. This week I'm manifesting calm. I've, I'm just coming off. I think today should be my last day feeling any form of rubbish feeling, but I'm just coming off my hell week with my PMDD. Mm-hmm. And next week I want, I, I was so chaotic this week. So this week I want to be calm. This coming week I want to be calm and I want to get a lot of work done. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm manifesting I've got constant peace in my home I've got constant peace of mind Mm -hmm. so I just want to be calm and collected and just get some work done yes yes, how about you all right yes I I also want to become and at peace and I do have that in my home I want to manifest or I am manifesting being productive yeah. Whatever it is that I touch, whatever it is that I dream up, whatever it is that I've done in the past will create some form of success, wealth, wholeness, bring something to me and my family um, so that it's not just time used or wasted, if that makes any sense. Because I spend a lot of time on different things and it's <laughs> not... <laughs> beneficial sometimes because I'll I'll just do stuff and get caught. ADHD is real. We need to do a whole podcast on (laughs) that. That's a whole episode. I get hyper-focused on stuff, child, and it is is nonsense. It is not. Some of it is just nonsense. And so this week, I'm just focusing and my word is intentional. I'm manifesting being intentional about my time and what I spend my time on this week. Making sure it's successful. That's it. That's a good one. Yeah. That's it. That's it. All right. So come on. Let's close out. Look, we have come to the end of this week's podcast, and that's another stem added to the system. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember to follow us on social media at the System Podcast, and that's the System S I S T E M Podcast. Once you find us on one, you'll be able to find us on all of them using our link tree, The System Podcast. Again, check out our link tree, The System Podcast. And don't forget to check out our YouTube channel on Wednesdays and Thursdays for video content. I've been your host, Yushima Kamoy Cherry Burks. And I've been your co-host, Kimon Brown Chabalala. Don't forget to join us next Tuesday, where we will be talking about healthy boundaries, 